This morning we're going to be continuing our sermon series from the book of Hebrews, and today we come to the 11th chapter that Jennifer just read. It's a chapter that's often referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. And the chapter begins with a very concise definition of faith, which we see in verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then in the next 39 verses, the author of Hebrews goes on to give us example after example after example of people who lived out this definition of faith, being sure of what they hoped for and being certain of what they could not yet see. He gives us example after example of people who lived out that faith, who kept the faith. Kept the faith. Keep the faith. Maybe you've seen those t-shirts or bumper stickers or buttons, and usually they're not connected with the Christian faith. The message typically in those t-shirts or buttons or stickers, bumper stickers, is simply this. Keep the faith. Keep believing in yourself. Keep believing in faith. Keep believing that things are going to work out. Have a good and positive attitude in your life at work, regard to your dreams or whatever. But faith and keeping the faith is, is much, much more than a loosely defined belief that in the end it's all going to work out okay. Much, much more than a, a, a positive attitude way to motivate yourself to get through life. Biblically speaking, faith is very concrete. Faith is rock solid. Faith is the foundation upon which all people who believe in Jesus Christ are to base their life and live out their life from that foundation of faith. But faith is not easy. When things are going well, faith is, is not so hard. But when things take a turn for the worse, well, then we can talk in earnest about what it means to keep the faith. The operative word here is keep, which implies the need to have faith when the going gets tough. I mean, anybody can have faith when the sun's shining, when the ball keeps going in the hole, when you have plenty of money in the bank, when the surgery is successful, when your marriage is doing well. But it's much harder to believe when the sky is dark, your children are sick, your marriage is struggling, the cancer returns, the bank account is drained, you lose your job, your pastor disappoints you, whatever it might be. All of us need help to keep believing, to keep the faith when hard times come, as they surely will sooner or later. You know, faith has been badly misunderstood by many people. Many people would agree with a little boy who said, faith is believing what you know probably isn't true. Or they think faith is the opposite of, of rational thought, as if faith had, is nothing more than a positive feeling or wishful dreaming, sort of a blind faith. And many people make the mistake of confusing faith with feelings, so that if they don't feel it, then it must not be true. We all know men and women whose faith have inspired us. And almost always it is those people whose faith has been made strong, has been tested through adversity, are the ones who inspire us by their faith. Because faith is never meant to be theoretical. Faith is better illustrated than it is explained. We don't need a textbook on faith. We need to take faith into the, the lab of life, into the field and see faith in overalls and boots and gloves and a helmet, showing us what it means to put, our, put the, the faith into practice where the rubber meets the road, 
Faith is best grasped, best understood when it's put into play, when we see it in action. That's where Hebrews 11 comes in. More than any other chapter in the book of the Bible, it shows us what faith looks like. When we study these men and women, we are seeing faith work itself out in the lives of very ordinary men and women, people like you and me, who under enormous pressure, facing great odds, often with the whole world and culture against them, live by faith and win God's approval and commendation. And so when I read this chapter, I say to myself, that's what living by faith looks like. That's what it means to keep the faith. And I say, God, help me to live like that. So I start this sermon this morning with the same prayer the disciples had in Luke 17.5. When they approached Jesus, they said, Lord, Jesus, increase our faith. At some level, they knew that they couldn't just kind of screw up their courage and increase their faith on their own through sheer dint and will. Lord, they understood. Jesus, you're the one who increased our faith. Lord Jesus, increase our faith. And so this morning, as we begin looking at Hebrews 11, I'm going to offer that prayer for myself and for you. Lord Jesus, we come before you today, and like the disciples did so many years ago, we ask simply, Lord, that you would increase our faith, that you'll grow us and stretch us into a greater dependency and trust in you, that we would be sure of the things that we hope for, and that we'd be certain of the things that we do not yet see. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, faith, let's clear from misconception sometimes people might have, faith is never meant to be a one-time experience. And we need to say that because often it seems in, in, in our circles, in Christian circles, it is tempting to fall into the trap that because, we, because we put so much emphasis upon being saved by faith. And that's well and good. We are saved only by faith in Christ, not by our works, not by our associations with anybody else or any church. We're saved by personal faith in Jesus Christ. We talk about accepting Christ asking him into our heart, receiving Christ, trusting him. We challenge people to respond to the gospel invitation so that they would be find saving faith in Christ. It's all well and good, but the life of faith is not in there. The same faith that saves us is a faith that carries us from day to day as we work our way from earth to heaven. That's why the Bible says this in Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous will live by faith. And we're told in Romans 1.17 that the gospel reveals a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. In other words, from the beginning of our commitment to Christ, the beginning of our faith, till the end, when we die and receive a reward. The whole life of a Christian is to be one marked by faith. We're saved by faith. We pray by faith. We worship by faith. We serve by faith. We rejoice by faith. We sacrifice by faith. And we obey by faith. All that we do, the Bible tells us, is to be done from the viewpoint and from the vantage point and from the position of faith. Now, why is so faith so important? I draw down a, a short list here to give us um, a, kind of a way to focus our thinking. Faith first is the condition of justification. What that means is simply that by our faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified. We are made right with God through personal uh, trust in Jesus Christ. Faith is the way that we receive everlasting life. We're told in John 6, Jesus said that we receive 
everlasting life when we have faith in Him and in the Father. Faith is the means of access to God. We can approach God in, in confidence and humility and, and, and belief because of our faith. Faith, it says, is, is the only way to please God. Faith is a victory that overcomes the world. Faith is the key to answered prayer. Jesus taught that in Matthew 21. And faith is the title deed, the guarantee of all that God has promised us in Jesus Christ. Now, because God himself is entirely faithful, we hear that in, in Deuteronomy 7, 9, because God is entirely faithful himself, he honors those who love him enough to trust him completely. And the question before us in this sermon, in this passage, is both simple and profound. What is faith and how does it work? And to personalize it, what is my faith and how does my faith work? On the question of living the life of faith, there is no greater example than Hebrews 11. We have a long list of Old Testament heroes and prophets, and almost all of them are introduced with a simple two-word phrase, which gives us a real clue to what it is to be a person of faith by faith. By faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, by faith Moses, by faith the people cross the Red Sea, by faith the walls of Jericho fall down, and by faith Rahab the prostitute is saved. And the author doesn't even have time to mention all the individual exploits of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. He lists them all there in Hebrews 11. He summarizes it all up in verses 33 through 35. Through faith they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. A wonderful list of miracles and victories because of their faith. But that's just part of the story. The, passage, the part of the passage we didn't read is verses 35 through 38. And here it sees the other side, the trials of faith. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Who are these poor people? And what have they done to deserve such, such punishment? The writer simply calls them others. They are the others who lived by faith. These men and women who endured such torment were living by faith just as much as Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joshua. And just because they were not spared death, just because they didn't see great victories or miracles in their lives, does not mean that their faith was weaker. If anything, their faith was stronger because they were able to endure incredible suffering. They were faithful, even when things didn't work out right. And God responds, we hear, in verse 39. These were all commended for their faith. Though these individuals are widely separated by time and space, by personality and circumstances, they are joined by one common denominator, one factor. What they did, they did by faith. And they won God's approval. There isn't much that would 
joined together Abraham, the father of many nations, and Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, except for this. At a crucial point in their lives, they both acted in faith. And God saw that faith, and God rewarded it. You know, living by faith often means moving against the prevailing tide of public opinion. It means swimming against the tide, going against the grain. Noah was jeered and ridiculed. He builds an ark even though there are no storm clouds in the skies. Abraham has no directions, doesn't know where he's going, what he's going to do when he gets there, but he leaves Ur. Moses rejects Egypt, and Joshua marches around Jericho. If you decide to live by faith today, the same will happen to you. You will definitely stand out from the crowd, and you may and probably will face opposition and ridicule. You know, it's easy to look at Enoch or Noah or Joseph or Moses or David and say, I could never be like that. I could never be that type of person. I could never do that. I could never have that kind of faith. And if we say that or feel that or believe that, then deep down what we're doing is, is we're calling God a liar. Because the scripture says that by faith the righteous will live and that, that, that God will work in the lives of all people to do great things. Faith, the life of faith is not restricted to just a few special, unique, gifted people. If, if we desire to live a life of faith, God promises to give us the power to live that life of faith. In Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us the definition at the beginning. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I, I, I prefer the traditional King James in this instance because it's more picturesque. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And that the Greek word there used for substance is an unusual word. It's not used that often. But it refers to the foundation of a house. And outside the New Testament, it was used for the, the title deed to a piece of property. So faith, the author is telling us, is the title deed to things in the future. Things hoped for, things promised to us by God. Then verse 2 adds an important truth. This is what the ancients were commended for. When the writer mentions the ancients, of course he's talking about all the Old Testament saints. Noah, Moses, David, Ruth, Esther, Job, Daniel, all the others who trusted in God. But the text literally means to say they received a witness. You know, in some churches when a pastor says, can I get a witness, people yell out, amen, hallelujah. Well, that's what verse 2 is saying here. Only God is the one who's shouting out the amens. When Moses stood up for righteousness and stood up to Pharaoh, and when, when David stood up to Goliath and slew him, and when Meshach and Daniel, or Meshach and Abednego and Shadrach went into the fiery furnace and stood up uh, to the king, God is standing alongside them, shouting out, Amen, at a boy, at a girl, and he commends them for their faith. God honors people of faith. Now let me pause just for a second, kind of a little insertion here. There is a sense in which living by faith requires a measure of, of holy discontent. In other words, you've got to want some things that you don't have in order to have faith. Because faith always deals with the things that we're hoping for, the things that we haven't seen yet. So if you've got everything you already want and need, and if for you the promises of God are, have been proved true and already come true, if you've reached a state of a spiritual perfection and you have no need to grow anymore, if all your prayers have been answered, if all your loved ones 
are saved and serving the Lord, if there's no lack of any area in your life that you can see, then you do not need faith. But if you still have loved ones that you want to see come to see the Lord, if you still have areas to grow in, if you still need to grow in your righteousness and your relationship with Jesus Christ, if there's things you're still hoping for and, and waiting to see, then you need to be a person of faith. Pastor Ray Pritchard, a pastor in California, wrote the following story about how a woman uh, demonstrated her faith uh, during a tough time. He writes, Recently, a dear friend discovered that the cancer she thought had gone into remission had suddenly returned. After undergoing delicate brain surgery to remove a large tumor, she remained in intensive care with a long-term prognosis still not clear. He writes, She received a note from her sister, and this is part of what she wrote. God is still good, and he is still on the throne. We are waiting to see how he is going to be glorified in this situation. There are many unbelievers who are watching this all unfold, so you never know. We have to keep trusting and believing in God and his healing and timing and will. The verse we wear on our cancer bracelets is Psalm 125.1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. You know, as long as we live in a world with cancer bracelets, we will need faith. And as long as we live in a world where marriages fall apart and kids suffer the consequences, we will need faith. As long as our leaders disappointment and there is disappoint us and there is hatred and violence and prejudice in this world, we will still need faith. And as long as death reigns, we will need faith because the things hoped for have not yet come to pass in our lives and in our world. Think about these three words in regard to faith. Believe, see, and do. Faith believes what others do not believe. Faith sees what others do not see. Faith does what others do not do. True faith is never passive. It moves us to to act and to do and to try and to build and to to pray and to sacrifice and to give. True faith uh, moves us to dream beyond our dreams and to walk around Jericho until the walls come tumbling down in our lives and in our world. I read a definition of faith as outrageous trust in God. And I like that definition. Outrageous trust. It's what you have when you build an ark hundreds of miles from a body of water. It's what you have when you leave your home not knowing where you're going. It's what you have when you go into face a giant with totally underarmed. Outrageous faith. How many of us have been in a situation in our lives where we needed outrageous faith in God? If we can't think of an area in our life where we, or a situation where we haven't had outrageous faith and needed that faith in God, trust me, it's coming if you're walking with the Lord. It's coming. We just need to be ready and prepared. In the last few minutes, real quickly, we can draw three important conclusions about the nature of faith. First, faith is not a feeling, but it's a conscious choice to believe what God has said. You know, if Noah had waited until he felt like building an ark, he never would have got off the ground. If Joshua had waited to feel like marching around Jericho, those walls might still be standing. If we wait to step out in faith to witness to a friend, that person may not ever come to know the Lord. If we wait until we feel like reconciling with a friend that we've hurt or they've hurt us, it'll probably never happen. Feelings are not to drive our faith. Our faith is to drive our feelings. 
Faith chooses, faith acts, and then the feelings will follow. Faith acts even in the face of doubt and opposition. If we wait until all the circumstances are lined up, if we wait until the odds are in our favor before we do something, then we probably are going to wait forever. David did not wait for Goliath to go blind. He trusted God. He walked into the valley with five small stones and he faced the giant. He went and did what God called him to do and he went where God called him to go. If we wait for our doubts to disappear, if we wait for the opposition to lessen, we will have to wait a long time and we will become a person who is fairly impotent in our faith. Someone said that faith is belief plus unbelief, but yet acting on the belief part. We all have portions of unbelief in our lives, but faith is the person who believes, and in despite their unbelief, they act on the belief part. That's what Abraham did, that's what Moses did, and that's what you and I are called to do as well. My favorite definition of faith comes from the Christian author Philip Yancey, who said, faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. You know, so many things in this life do not make sense to us. I'm sure that everybody here has looked around the world or their lives and seen something that has happened or happening, and they wonder, why? And, and, and there's really no human answer we can give that's satisfactory. We want to know why things happen the way they do, and why things couldn't have happened some other way. And it would be wrong of me to stand here today and say that faith can give you all the answers for every question that you might have. If it did, it wouldn't be called faith. Perhaps in heaven someday we will understand. Or maybe perhaps in heaven our desire to understand will be transformed by our vision of the Lord. Either way, we are called to be people of faith. One final word. Biblical faith is never faith in faith. It's not uh, faith in ourselves. It's not a formula by which we can manipulate or maneuver God. Faith can never be stronger than the object on which it rests. And if our faith is in faith, if our faith is in ourselves or somebody else, then our faith is going to be pretty weak. Faith is to rest only on the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a little acrostic that I kind of hang on to to help me in my own faith walk. Somebody gave it to me a long time ago. F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I take him. That's the definition of faith. Forsaking all, I take Jesus Christ. Whatever it costs, wherever he leads, Jesus says to us, come, follow me, put your life in my hands. But when we do so, there are no guarantees of easy living and there are no formulas that lead to miracles or victories in our lives. We're called simply to trust and to step out in faith and to follow him. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. I wonder if other names could be added to that list. Hopefully other names will be added to that list. By faith, Eli. By faith, Doug. By faith, Robbie. By faith, Adrian. By faith, Wade. And on and on and on. May our names be added to that list as we are people of faith. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you for your great 
love. And by faith we come to you in prayer, knowing and believing and trusting that we can approach you with confidence and assurance because of what Jesus has done for us. By faith we come before you today, Lord, knowing that you will never call us to do something or go somewhere without giving us the power and the strength to do it and to go. By faith we come before you today, Lord, knowing that there are things that we are hoping for and things that we have yet not seen. But by faith we trust that someday we will receive and we will see. Father, by faith we come before you, knowing that in, of our, in ourselves and of ourselves, we are weak and we falter. But by faith we come before you. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would increase our faith. By faith we come before you, Lord, today. And we know that your faithfulness is what saves us. We thank you for that. Lord Jesus, help us to become people who live and walk and do everything by and through faith in you.